uh, Memorial Day weekend. And as I think about that, it, um, I believe, has lost, or we have lost, some of the understanding of the true meaning of Memorial Day weekend. I think there are a lot of people who take it as just uh, an extra day off. I think there are people who look at it as a long weekend to go to the lake or to go camping to mark the beginning of summer or uh, whatever the case may be. And I, I think that we have neglected to remember that this is a memorial service, a day of remembering individuals who who gave their all in giving their life to defend our nation, to forgive our, to, to defend our freedoms, uh, to protect us from the enemy. And one of the major freedoms that they protect, have protected in the sacrifice they've made, is the ability for us to freely come together and worship the Lord without fear. There are a lot of places around the world where people cannot do that. And we have experienced and enjoyed that blessing throughout the history of our nation because people were willing to sacrifice their lives in order to defend that freedom. There were similar Memorial Days in ancient Israel as well. If you were an Israelite during the time of King David, a thousand years before the coming of Christ, your family would make your way to Jerusalem at least three times a year. And you would make your way there for the pilgrim festivals to worship the one true living God. And it is very possible, we have some good indication, that when they were there on these three distinct journeys throughout the course of a year, every year in Jerusalem, worshiping the one true living God, that they were singing the songs of their day, just like we sing worship songs here on Sunday morning. And many of those songs are recorded in God's Word, specifically in the book of Psalm. And there is a section in the book of Psalm that begins with chapter 120 and goes to 134. And these are the songs of ascent. They're the songs celebrating and worshiping the one true living God. And very likely, very possible, while they were there for their memorial, their pilgrim festival, that they were singing these worship songs recorded in this passage of Scripture. And, and they are songs that talk about life. There's songs that talk about living for the Lord and, and obedience to the Lord and faithfulness to the Lord and all that the Lord had blessed them with in their lives. And in the midst of that, he 
we see songs that talk about the family. We see songs that talk about what it means to be a Christian family and to be faithful to the Lord. And this morning, I want us, as we think about Memorial Day and we think about our freedom and we think about those who made the sacrifice and we think about our nation, I want us to go to Psalm 128. Psalm 128 is a short psalm, but there is a powerful, profound message here about our freedom, about our nation, and about our family, and how all of those tie together according to God's Word. Psalm 128 reads as follows, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. And may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Those are some incredibly profound and powerful words. They are a direct connection that the Bible relates family life and how family life impacts a nation. It gives us a look at what God intended for the home and how the home influences the nation. It is the image of a healthy home and a bountiful nation. It ties the two together. And it brings us understanding of the inseparable connection of these two areas of life. It's interesting. There are only six verses. I always have to remember when we read the Bible, especially when we're looking at it in relationship to these being a song or, or, or a, a, a part of a worship service. When this was written, we didn't have books and chapters and verses they all flowed together as a message as it was written. But in these six verses, in this short passage, there are three times that he uses the word blessed or blessed. That he connects the blessing that takes place here in regards to the actions or the behavior that is tied to it. We see words like this, happy, peace. Prosperity. Those are all things that we desire in life. Every one of us desires to be happy. Nobody wants to walk around in life with doom and gloom and be sad. Now, a lot of people do, but they don't want to. We all would like 
to be happy. We all would like to have peace. Some people seem to thrive in turmoil, in conflict, in difficulty. But reality at the core of all of us, the very natural thing is, we all desire to have peace. Prosperity. All of us would love to have prosperity. These are things that we strive for. These are things that we seek to attain in life. And so the question then is this, what is the key? What is the key to happiness? What is the key to peace? What is the key to prosperity in our family and in our nation? And it's found in that very first verse. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and walks in his way. Now, the interpretation here is really quite interesting. This word way, literally, most other places in God's word is translated road. And so, so in all practicality, what he is saying is this, blesses the man who has a fear of the Lord that leads him to a healthy respect of who God is, and he walks along with the Lord on the same road of which the Lord is traveling. That's what it really means. See, the problem is we don't like to do that. We like for the Lord to walk along with us on the road that we want to travel. But he says, if you want happiness, if you want peace, if you want prosperity, first, fear the Lord. Have a healthy fear that leads to a genuine, real respect of who he is and what he means to us. And secondly, get on board with the road that he's walking, the direction that he's taking, and go with him. Don't try to plead and beg and pray and and do everything you can to get him to go along with you on the road that you want to go. He says, get on board with the road he's taking. Follow him in the path and the direction that he's going. And so many times we don't want to do that. We want to take our path. We want to go down our road. And we want him to bless us in that and, and, and help us to do that. And he says, no. No, here's the thing. We have to get on the road he's on. We have to get on the path that He's on. We have to to choose to go the direction that He's going. It ties directly to obedience. Submitting ourselves and our will and and bringing it into an obedience in our lives of the direction that He would have us to go. And the things that He would have us to do. And it calls us then to reflect the image of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 says this, Be imitators of God as dear children. Think about that for a moment. Be imitators of God as dear children. In other words, you want to behave, you want to act, you want to do exactly, imitate, do exactly what he's doing. Be, Be a copycat. Follow in the direction that he's going. Follow the path that he's taking. And and you go in line with that. That's what the scripture teaches us throughout the word this morning. And it goes all the way back to the very beginning of creation. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. And he says this. Let us create man in our image. In our likeness. Let us create man. 
He said, let's make them just like us. Speaking, God the Father, God the Son. And he said, let's create man in our image. And so the image that we are to reflect in our life every day in everything that we do is the image of God. He created us in that image. And he calls us to reflect that image in our life. Be imitators. Listen to that word. Be imitators of God as, as we look at that as blessed and, and dear children. As children imitate their parents he says, we are to imitate or reflect God's nature in our life. I think about it, I've probably told you this story before. It's a pretty humorous story, but um, we used to, to serve in a ministry in North Carolina, Crossroads Christian Church in Robertsonville, North Carolina. And, uh, and I don't know if you've ever been out in North Carolina, but they talk a little bit different there than we do here. And they say things, I mean, not just do they have an accent, but they say things differently than we say things here. Now, I grew up in West Virginia, not that far from North Carolina. But in West Virginia, we don't talk like those people in North Carolina. They talk differently in North Carolina. Okay? So, so we had been away, and we had, Ariel had not yet been born, but both our boys were, were with us. And we went back. They had a homecoming event, and they invited us back for the homecoming event, and we went back. We walked in on a Sunday morning, and I never will forget Tony, one of the deacons in the church. And uh, we came in, and he comes over to me, and he says this, Boy, you mind him, boys. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. What? Boy, you mind him, boys. I, I was so confused. I hadn't any idea. And I said, what? And he goes, you mocked them boys. He was saying, you, but with his accent, it sounded different. You marked those boys. What does that mean? They look just like you. In other words, they took on your image. I could look at those boys and know just like that that they belong to you. Right? That's what he was saying. But again, like I said, not just an accent. They say things differently. Say, boy, the, instead of just saying, hey, your boys really look like you. Well, you mocked them boys. But God calls us to reflect His image. God calls us, created us in His image, in His likeness, so that when the world looks at us, the world would say, Boy, God really marked them. They really reflect Him. I can see Him in them. I, I can tell they belong to Him. So let me ask you this morning. When you encounter people in life, when you encounter people that are your neighbors or that you work with or, or at the store or whatever the case may be, do they look at your life, do they look at my life, and can they say, oh, I see the image of their Father in them. I see the likeness recreated in their life of their Heavenly Father. Because that's what He's called us to. He's called us to be a reflection of His image. So that the world visibly can see God living in us. And us carrying out the action in obedience of who He is and His character. Listen, His character is flawless. He's faithful. He's holy. He's loving. He's kind. He's wise. We could go on all day, right? 
we could just keep going on and on about the character of God, who God is and what that means to us. And as we think about those things, we have to ask ourselves the question, do I reflect those characteristics in my life? Am I holy? Am I wise? Am I faithful? Am I loving? Am I kind? All of these things, and again, we could list, the list could go on and on. But do I reflect those characteristics of God in my life? Do those around me see Him living in me? Is that image who I am? Or do they see something totally different? They see something totally unrelated or connected to the image of our Father. Our, our, pass, our passage today gives us a connection between the image of God reflected in our life and the impact of that image on our family and the impact of our families on our nation. And he ties those three things together with three principles that I want to share with you quickly this morning. The first one is this, the image grows at home. The image grows at home. God intended... For the home to be the spiritual foundation of the family. For the home to teach and to lead and to guide and to direct so that the family would continue generation after generation after generation the image of the Father. And so when we look at that and consider that, the home is the place where God intended for us to reflect His image the greatest, so that it would continue to the next generation. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it says, he says there, as we, we quoted earlier, he says, let us create man in our image. In our likeness, let us create man. And then, verse 27 says, and in his image, he created them. Male and female, that's an important terminology. Okay? In our world today, that's an important terminology. He created them, male and female, in His image, in His likeness. The very next verse, He gives us instruction in regards to being created in His image, male and female. And the very next verse, He says this, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Why? Why did He immediately follow this idea of, I've created you in my image and in my likeness, I've created you male and female. Now, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Because if we will take His image reflected in our lives and we will pass it to the next generation and the next generation to the next generation and the next generation to the next generation. You see what I'm saying? That's why He gave them the instruction to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth because He wanted the earth filled with what? His image. He wanted the earth filled with what? His character. He wanted the earth filled with what? His likeness. He wanted people everywhere to live in obedience to Him and His Word and reflect His nature and His character and His image to the rest of the world. And that's what He's called us to do. And it grows at home. It begins in the house. It begins with mothers and fathers who are praying people, who, who are Bible people, who read the Word, who search the Scripture, who look for God's guidance, and who desire to get on the road with Him and follow the trail and the path that He's leading and He's going and join with Him instead of trying to drag Him 
into the direction that we want to go. And he calls us to, to share that image. And with that, he says, there will be blessings. There will be a blessedness that comes when this is the action of the family and the home. In all the rest of Scripture, all of the rest of Scripture from that beginning Genesis passage, we see God communicating and revealing Himself in the form of family, in family terminology. God the Father. God the Son. We see our salvation is related to an adoption into His family. Becoming His children, we're called the children of God. He says we have an inheritance. And we are joint heirs in that inheritance with Christ Jesus, our brother, in relationship to the Father. We can go on and on with the terminology that He shares with us. He compares the church to what? A marriage relationship. You see, it's all about the family. And he says, everything related to to the image of God, everything related to the likeness of God, and over and over again in being obedient to God, is tied to the family. It begins in the home. It begins with parents. and, And those parents sharing with their children, and their children, the grandchildren, and on and on the process goes. And we have to understand that there is a direct correlation that if, if he desires for that to happen in the home, and that spiritual leadership and that spiritual guidance to be in the home, then, then and with that there will be blessings, and with that there will be happiness, and with that there will be peace, and with that there will be prosperity, then we have to, in the understanding of language, realize that if we do not do that, the exact opposite is true. So when we see the home begin to break down, when we see the home begin to disintegrate, when we see the home to be devastated and pulled apart, so then we see people's lives begin to be devastated, people's lives to be torn down, people's lives to be torn apart. Which brings us to the second principle, when the image is broken, everything is broken. When the image is broken, everything is, is broken. Notice the progression in Psalm 128. It's you, blessed is the man, and then it turns to your wife, and then it turns to your children, and then next is the nation, and then next is your children's children. So there's a progression here. He says it begins with you. Men, husbands, fathers, it begins with you. You are by God's design the spiritual leader of your home. And if you do not take that role, and you do not take that responsibility, and you do not reflect the image of God, it will devastate your relationships. It will devastate your home. And it will devastate a nation. It begins with Father. It begins with you. The man who fears the Lord and walks in His way, he says. Then he turns that to your wife. Then he says, your wife. Listen to what he says. It's so important that we understand the, the, the impact of this and the importance of this. He says, who walks in His way. When you shall eat at the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. Then it turns, he said, if you're doing what you're going to do, you're going to bless her life. And the blessing of her life is she's going to be like a fruitful vine. It's a vine that's bearing fruit. It's a vine that's healthy. It's a vine that's thriving. 
that's doing what it's supposed to do. Notice what the next thing he says is, within your house, your children like olive plants around the table. Again, this natural idea of healthy, of strong, of vibrant. But he says it begins with men, it begins with fathers, it begins with husbands doing what God has called them to do, being obedient to the truth of His Word. And he said when we do that, there's a blessing for the home, there's a blessing for the husband and the father, there's a blessing for the wife, there's a blessing for the children, and there's a blessing for the nation. And then he ties it to Israel and Jerusalem and the nation. And we have to understand that there have been a lot of people A lot of people over the course of history who have paid a price for us to have the freedoms that we have. And this Memorial Day is an opportunity to remember that and appreciate that and be thankful for that and be grateful for that. But he says, I have created you in my image, in my likeness. And you are to take that image and pass it on to the next generation, the next generation. And it begins in the home. And if it breaks down in the home, everything else will be broken as well. Look around our nation. And I challenge you to tell me that's not true. Look around our nation. I challenge you to point to any place where the family is strong and the family is healthy and the family has been obedient to God and passed that image to the next generation, the next generation. I challenge you to point out where where there's brokenness. But you look around the brokenness of this world and I, 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 I can almost guarantee you that you see the brokenness of families. You see the brokenness of homes that have led to the brokenness of a nation. And we are where we are because we have ventured away from the image of God. We are no longer as as men and as mothers and fathers passing the, the image and the healthy communication of the characteristics of God onto the next generation. Now here's the good news is that when you fix the image, you fix the home, you fix the nation. When you fix the image and you fix the home, you fix the nation. And it is so critical for us to understand. So so how do we fix the image? How, how do we get the image where it needs to be? How do, how do we get the image back where it belongs so that we can begin to fix the family, begin to fix the home, and begin to fix the nation? One passage, real quickly, as we prepare to close, Colossians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. I've belabored too long. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, reflecting His image. That's not what it says. I'm adding that, right? To please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you understand what he's writing as he writes to the church of Colossae? He's writing a reflection of God's image and God's likeness 
in the home, in the family. Go back to Psalm chapter 128 when he talks about the fruitfulness in the, of the wife. And he talks about the blessing of the children as olive trees planted by the table. And listen to that and, and think about that in regards to this terminology. He said, you'll be filled with the knowledge of all of his spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner. And he talks about getting on the road, getting in his way, in his path. And to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. There's that happiness we're talking about. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. There's that inheritance, that family tie again. For He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transformed us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Again, His sonship and being a part of that. He just ties all of those things together right here in this passage. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, pick up in verse 15. Listen. And He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. How do I restore the image? Turning to Christ Jesus. How do I restore the image? Turning to the Word and to Christ Jesus. He is. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Christ Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. If we want to restore the image, if we want to restore the likeness in our individual lives and then translate it to our family's lives and to the generation, the next generation, it begins right here in Christ Jesus. For by Him, listen to this, you want, to, you want to take what's broken and put it back together? Listen to this. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. If it's broken and you want to fix it, you need Christ Jesus. If it's broken and you want to restore it, you need Christ Jesus. He is also the head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, so that, uh, that He Himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. Listen. God says, your nation is hurting your nation is struggling. Your nation is broken because the family's broken. And the only way to fix the family is to bring people back to Jesus, to bring people back to the Word, to bring people back to obedience and faithfulness, to fear the Lord, and to walk in His way. There will be blessing. We're going to come and prepare for invitation hymn this morning. There's this great, great story. It's, it's reality, but it's an incredible story. Have you ever heard of Death Valley? Death Valley out in California, on the border of California, Nevada. It's just this dry, barren, unbelievable place of heat. There is nothing good there. It's just flat death. That's why they call it Death Valley, right? But ever so often, ever so often, Death Valley experiences something unique. For there, it's called a rainstorm. And water comes. And the ground is so dry that any water that comes is immediately soaked up. It just, just disappears almost instantaneously. 
But then shortly after that, something miraculous happens. It's called the super bloom. And what looked dead and barren and lifeless was not. They're seeds. All kinds of seeds. Don't know how they got there. Don't know where all they came from. But they're seeds. And those seeds are just waiting to be watered so that they can be nurtured, so that they can grow and bloom. And when I say ever so I'm talking about decades. It may go without a drop of water. But when the water comes and there's a rainstorm and the water absorbs into the earth, right after that, all of these seeds that receive the moisture that they needed, they begin to grow and to bloom. And Death Valley is this carpet of beautiful color, of green and yellows and blues and reds and yellows, all of this amazing thing. And you go, man, all this time, I thought it was just this dead, barren, hot sand of a place, and there was no life. Sometimes that's what the family feels like. Sometimes that's what our nation feels like. But the fact of the matter is, life is there. It just needs the water, it just needs to be nurtured, it just needs to be blessed, and it will grow. In an amazing way. All we need is Jesus to turn everything around and head in the right direction once again. If you need him this morning, this invitation is for you.